For what died the sons of Roshim? Was it fame? For what died the sons of Roshim? Was it fame? For what flowed Ireland's blood and rivers that began when Brian chased the dame and did not cease nor has not ceased with the brave sons of sixteen? For what died the sons of Roshim? Was it fame? For what died the sons of Roshim? Was it greed? For what died the sons of Roshim? Was it greed? Was it greed that drove Wolf Tone to a pauper's death in a cell of cold, wet stone? Will German, French, or Dutch inscribe the epitaph of Emmet when we've sold enough of Ireland to be but strangers in it? For what died the sons of Roshim? Was it greed? To whom do we owe our allegiance today? To whom do we owe our allegiance today? To those brave men who fought and died that Roisin live again with pride. Her sons at home to work and sing, her used to dance and make her valleys ring, or the faceless men who for mark and dollar betray her to the highest bidder. To whom do we owe our allegiance today? For what suffer our patriots today? For what suffer our patriots today? They have a language problem, so they say. How to write no trespass must grieve their heart full sore. We got rid of one strange language, now we're faced with many, many more. For what suffer our patriots today? Well, I thought I would start off with a... Uh that beautiful dissertation by the great late Luke Kelly, and I would dedicate it to Antishok, Michal Martin, and this is Jerry Adamson Shaw. So Tasulagum, Gwil Shibsha, Gumoy. And uh, just thinking over the brouhaha that arose out of the friends of Sinn Féin and our other friends in Irish America putting advertisements in newspapers in the USA in support of the Good Friday Agreement and the referendum on the Good Friday Agreement. It struck me as rather ironic that that would uh, excite such agitation within the Dublin establishment. But I want to thank the folks who funded and put together that initiative because it put the issue of Irish unity on the agenda and these strange times of virtual engagements at the time of St. Patrick's Day in the USA when Ireland is the big theme. So it was a good job and very, very, very well done to everyone involved. And I spent almost a quarter of a century going back and forth every St. Patrick's Day to the USA meeting Irish Americans, talking to them, listening to them, and meeting their political leaders in Washington. And it's important to understand that the celebrations there in the USA usually last a week, not a day. So I could be in New York to take part in the St. Patrick's Day 
breakfast with hundreds of others before heading off to Philadelphia, followed by a few days of meetings in DC. And I have some very fond memories of meeting our friends are at these events where they joyfully celebrate their Irishness through music and dance and poetry and crack. I remember on one memorable day we were in Syracuse in Upper New York State for a St. Patrick's Day parade and it was in the midst of a blizzard and we weren't dressed for a blizzard and I was walking shaking with the cold. I was totally foundered. And John O'Hearn, the Grand Marshal, who was thoroughly enjoying himself, he was wearing a top hat and a big uh, sash, waving enthusiastically to the heavily muffled and heavily coated spectators. And we could hardly see 10 feet in front of ourselves. And he said to me, when I was almost languishing, you know, we prayed here in March because... Anybody can walk in July. So we only arrived there, myself and Richard, thanks to the generosity of our good friend, Rito O'Hare, who had tried to warn us to bring some coats and hats. But of course, we were in a strange land, and it was D.D. Welsh, the wife of the then Congressional Representative, Jim Welsh, who graciously lent us some overclothes and uh, some gloves. And Rita delighted in telling us off for ignoring her uh, warning. And she still delights in the memory of that particular story. And while no one was able to travel to the US this St. Patrick's Day because of the pandemic restrictions, it was uh, important, I think, to note that the initiative that I've mentioned, the adverts, supported by the Ancient Order of Hibernians, the Brahman Law Society, the Friends of Sinn Féin, USA, Irish-American Unity Conference, the James Connolly Irish-American Labour Coalition, the Ladies' Ancient Order of Hibernians, was warmly welcomed among folks of Irish extraction right across North America. And then a few days after that, a cross-party group of senators introduced a resolution in the, sh the Senate reaffirming bipartisan support for the Good Friday Agreement and for the protocol. And remember, the adverts were about the full, full implementation of the Good Friday Agreement, including the referendum on Irish unity, which is part of it. And they were saying very, very clearly, let the people have their say. So... Their motion that was passed in the, the Senate was also a very welcome development. And then on Octoron Hinfein, Mary Lou MacDonald and the Joint First Minister and last Octoron Hinfein, Michelle O'Neill briefed the Congressional Friends of Ireland caucus on Capitol Hill. These were all virtual uh, engagements. And later she joined, Michelle did, with the DUP leader and Joint First Minister, Arlene Foster, in a conference call with President Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris. So once again, on those occasions, this administration, a new administration, made it clear its support for the Good Friday Agreement and also the very public endorsement of the Irish Protocol. 
And normally, you know, U.S. administrations are trying to present themselves, and sometimes genuinely so, uh, as being even-handed and all of that. But in this instance, the message was very, very clear that they weren't heeding the DUP demand for the protocol to be scrapped. So what did Sammy Wilson do? Now, remember, last October, in the midst of the election, he said, Joe Biden is a parrot for Irish nationalism and their falsehoods read the Good Friday Agreement. I would far rather have an American eagle in President Trump than a nationalist parrot in the White House. So that obviously was not a call which the American people heeded. And Sammy lost that one as well. So even Don, when he was doing an interview with, of all uh, outlets, Russia today, and he referred to President Biden as the bigoted ignoramus who has now taken over in the White House. And Taoiseach Michal Martin responded negatively to the US ads, basically, I suppose, because it was calling upon him to do his job. He rejected any possibility of planning for a unity referendum or even planning for a united Ireland. Instead, he stuck to the line that now is not the time to talk about unity. He told an audience in Washington, I think it's divisive and puts people back into their trenches too early. He uh, suggests that reconciliation, a unionist majority in favour of unity is a precondition for any discussion or planning on unity. And that's a clear breach of the terms of the Good Friday Agreement. Remember, the Good Friday Agreement was negotiated out, among others, by a Fianna Fáil-led government. So the Taoiseach's position is undemocratic. It would hand unionism a veto over future constitutional change forever. And his, his stance, it fundamentally subverts a key component of the Good Friday Agreement. And I suspect that his uh, approach has got to do with the need to preserve the 26 county state. But it's unpopular even within its own party. And the recent speech by Fianna Fáil TD Jim Callaghan when he addressed Cambridge University was a welcome uh, exposition of a number of proposals aimed at reuniting Ireland. And there's very, very interesting and uh, stimulating propositions, whether you agree with them all or not, it's another uh, matter. But I have to say that it was good to hear somebody putting some thought into how we move from where we are into fulfilling the Good Friday Agreement and into moving towards what is essentially, I suppose, the key political objective of all the main parties in Dublin, including Fianna Fáil, that is to bring about the reunification of the people of the island and an end to British rule. So Michal Martin's position, it's, it's a pushback against really what's now becoming a clamour for a public debate 
And that was, I, I think, well done to uh, the RTE programme, which took place on Monday evening. The first part of the programme certainly was very, very, very good. The second part was the old RTE format. There wasn't one United Irelander on the uh, panel of maybe five or six people talking to the issue. So, has uh, Michal Martin the gumption to do the right thing? Well, now that he has gone international with his negativity, I suspect not. And therefore, Luke Kelly's uh, wonderful rendition is aimed at Antishak. And I want to deal with, a, I suppose, a, some might think it's a fairly trivial matter, but it's about the whole issue of cats and dogs. And I'm a doggy man, let me make that clear from the outset. And ever since two of my uncles went to Canada eons ago, and I inherited Darkie, my first madu, dogs have been a constant in my life. In fact, it's possible to actually measure your life journey by the dogs who have befriended you along the way. Cats. I know a lot of cat lovers. Some were converted to cats as a consequence of their amorous relationships. The cats came with the partner, so needs must. Men who wouldn't look sidewards or sideways even at a feline quickly embraced them as well as their female mistresses. I mean the cat's mistresses, of course. I'm not allowed a cat. When Clyde was young, someone threw a cat at her and it landed on her face. She's had an aversion to our feline friends ever since, and it was hardly the cat's fault. Her umbrage should be again cat throwers, not the unfortunate cat. But sometimes logic doesn't get a look in. Not that I'm very anxious to get a cat. I'm, I'm currently trying to prepare the ground for a wee terrier. But that's a challenge, given that we have two dogs already. I love dogs. I have a slightly different relationship with cats. I respect cats. They're independent, haughty, sometimes arrogant. They could live without us humans. Some behave like aristocrats. No part of the house is out of bounds to them. One of my pals regularly turns up covered in cat hairs. He seems oblivious to them. And sometimes I have this awful urge to comb him. A friend of ours, the late Frances Forte, used to feed all the cats in the street. Frances was an amazing old lady. She supplied me with regularly with pasta when it was less popular than it is now. That and stories of how her family came to Belfast from Italy to be part of the Forte ice cream family business way back in the 1920s. They were chased out of York Street here in Belfast City by a unionist gunman. Anyway, cats used to lounge about Francis's front garden at mealtimes. 
Then some feral fellows joined them. They were like bad boys. They sprawled like corner boys on her windowsill. They were sullen. They were slightly menacing. Kittens soon followed. Eventually, Frances's cat community got out of hand and the appropriate agencies had to intervene to disperse them. There were feral cats in Long Cash. They used to hope in the bins. Maybe they are still there, like we ghosts hunting the place. The odd time a few were persuaded to accept titbits from cat-loving or mice and rat-hating political prisoners who looked to the cats for rodent control. That was in the cages. I think of them when I see a cat slinking along the yard wall in ambush mode for the wee birds feeding at the bird table. A bell around the cat's neck would even things up, make it a fair dig. So why do I tell you all this? It's an account of Twinkle. Twinkle is Sorga's cat. Sorga is Sarah and Fleur's daughter. Twinkle went missing on March the 9th. I know this because of the posters which were distributed around this neighbourhood. It said, Lost Cat, Twinkle, a grey and white tabby. And there was a photograph of Twinkle included with a request to check gardens, sheds and hedges. So that's what I did. I looked everywhere for Twinkle. I remember when I was circus age, my dog of that time, Rory, Dargie's predecessor, or successor, went missing. I searched all over the murph for him for days and cried myself to sleep every night for months. So I know how Sorka must have felt about Twinkle. Rory never came back. Thankfully, Twinkle did. We got the good news a few days after she went absent without leave. I wonder what adventure she had. But all's well that ends well. I suppose this is a shaggy dog kind of a story about a cat with a happy ending. So well done, Twinkle, and well done, Sorka. And here's a wee poem written by Sorka's mommy, Sarah, about Twinkle. Seal and Pongarban after Shimasini. Pongarban had it easy, living his life in a monastery, child playing around some mouse's den, the diligent monk hunting with pen, the master was poised, the cat was curled, both inoculated from this world. Not demanding munch from each other, they worked well without care or bother. Panger had been praised in four-line rhyme and interpreted many's the time. His name bestowed on countless white cats. I can't help but wonder, for what? Our cat twinkles living through a plague. She's the real hero, fearless and brave, self-venturing out in the darkest night. No way did Punger get it this tight. So Shane, and given that we're approaching Easter, I thought I would finish off with our good friend Kathleen Thompson's rendition of Tommy Makem's Four Green Fields. So Bannock Tea, the Casca, Ditsa, Augustivsha, Augustan, Sywilta, Akarja, Slan.
is my glory, I who give birth to Cuchulain the brave. Great is my shame. My own children have sold their mother. I am Ireland. I am lonelier than the old woman of Bear.